Well, good day and welcome to the final holiday edition for the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. This has been prepared for Sunday the 22nd of January 2023. My name's Matt and it's great that you are watching with us today. Friends, as we begin, hear these words of scripture from Psalm 66. All the earth worships you, O Lord Most High, signs praises to you and worships your holy name. Well, it's a holy God that we worship, and so we go now to a time of our own praise of him. Rejoice the Lord is king. Sing and triumph evermore. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. Jesus, the Savior, reigns, the God of truth and Stains, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again. I say, rejoice. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules over and come to read God's word. Let's pray. Father of heaven and earth, we ask that you would hear our prayers. 
and show us the way to peace in the world. We ask that you would grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Well, our Bible readings today begin in the Old Testament with Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through to 5. Our psalm for today is Psalm 1, and our New Testament reading is John chapter 3, verse 22 through to 36. John 3, 22 to 36. Pause the video for a moment, read those passages now, and then we'll think about them in a minute together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this moment now, you would quieten our hearts. You would help us see what you want us to see from John 3, and you would help us to respond in a way that glorifies you in our lives. Amen. Wow, that's really cool. I want one of those. That's what I said a few weeks ago when I saw what one of my brother's Christmas presents was. There's no other way to say it. I was jealous. I wanted what he had. And I wonder, what are some things that you are jealous of? Now, perhaps it's a physical thing that someone else has. It might be a book or it might be a car, it might be a house, or it might be something that's not physical. Maybe it's just their whole, their whole lifestyle. Or maybe it's their success. And I think that can be one of the hardest things to see. Other people doing well when we don't. And it can make us jealous. And I wonder how you respond in those kind of moments. Well, in John chapter 3 today, uh, as we open up, we see a situation where some people thought that another one, another person, should be jealous because of what was going on right in front of him. But I think the response we see here is something that's a helpful check for our own hearts. It's something that we need to hear. And now, we started last week in chapter 3 in, in John's Gospel, and we saw Jesus talking, talking to a guy named Nicodemus. And Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be in God's kingdom, you need to be born again. And he's saying that if anyone wants to go to heaven, they need God to first regenerate their hearts. They need God to do a work deep down in their lives. And as we finished off that, that section last week, we saw the love of God written large in big letters for all to see. But today, it's not only the love of God that's on display. That's not his only characteristic highlighted here. Today, we see that we have a God of not only love, but a God of wrath as well. And I wonder how that sits for you. Does love and wrath, can, are they compatible together in God in your view? Well, we're going to hold on to that because we'll come to it at the end. But first of all, as we, get into our, as we get into our passage, we see that John, he starts us off, he sets a scene, the first few verses. We're told that Jesus was out in the countryside, he's hanging out with his disciples, and they're baptizing people. And then John the Baptist, we hear he's nearby and he's also baptizing people. And verse 25 then, here's what the issue is. An argument develops between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Now, we're not told exactly what the argument is, and in one way it's not really important. Uh, perhaps the question was over whether, or how rather, John the Baptist's baptism, the ones he was doing, how they fit in with the Jewish ceremonial washings. But we, don't we don't know exactly. Whatever the case, though, Jesus' disciples, John's disciples rather, realize something that they think is, is disturbing. They realize something that wasn't, they thought wasn't right. And we see it in verse 26. 
What do they realize? Well, they come to John and they say, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you first, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. They're saying, John, you were here first. John, you told others about him and now people are going to him instead of you. The big thing they're trying to ask John is, John, aren't you jealous? And I wonder if you can sympathize with how John's followers perhaps are feeling. I mean, we live in a competitive society, in a society that's set up and structured in a way that almost pushes us to compare ourselves and our success with those of others. We feel it in almost every area of life. And church leaders, ministers, aren't immune from that either. It can be so tempting to look down the road, to look down the highway and say, why are things going so well for them? That's the temptation and that's pretty much what's going on for John's followers here. And so in our passage, the people are going, John, look what's going on. Look at Jesus' ministry. Aren't you jealous? And John says, yes. He says, yes. Now, he's not jealous of Jesus. And that's our first point here. The first thing that we need to hear. Don't be jealous of Jesus. Be jealous of for Jesus, like John. You see, John the Baptist, he's not disturbed by other people going to Jesus instead of him. Verse 27, he said, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. And see, John knows that God is in control of all things, that he's got all things laid out, and he's got a particular role for John to play. And he knows that he's not trying to outdo Jesus. No, he's trying to point people to Jesus. And that's what we've seen throughout the opening few chapters of John's gospel so far. John is saying, I'm just the messenger. I'm not the one to go to. And so he offers then a little parable to help them know why it makes sense for him to have no issue with other people flocking to Jesus. In verse 29, he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it is now complete. John's saying here, if this was a wedding, it's not my day. It's not all about me. I'm not the groom. I'm the best man. That's what he's saying. It's my job to set up the wedding. It's my job to make it as easy as possible for the bride and the groom to come together and get married. And when it does, he says, that brings me joy. In other words... He's saying, I'm not trying to compete with Jesus. It doesn't faze me when people go to him instead of me. On the contrary, when people go to Jesus, I've succeeded. That's what he's saying. Now, the reference to Jesus being the bridegroom here, it it picks up and plays on, again, Old Testament language. Language that talks about Israel being the bride of God. And then if you were to think forward to places like Ephesians chapter 5, you'd see that there's a metaphor there that uses this kind of language. Language that shows a relationship between Jesus and the church. He's the groom. The church is his bride. And that's why for John, that's why he's not jealous of Jesus. Because he wants people to go to the one who gives them salvation. That's what he's been working for. And he sums up his attitude to Jesus in verse 30 then. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. 
And this statement of John is it's what it looks like for anyone to start following and trusting in Jesus in the first place. He must become greater. I must become less. In coming to Jesus, we recognise that we are not the centre of the universe. That we are not generally good people like we, we think we are. No, we are people who rebel against our God. We are people who are in deep need. We need to see our lowly, lowly position and our need of Jesus, the one who is in the high position. And so that's verse 30. That's the attitude of anyone who comes to Jesus and to, to trust and follow him. But it's also the attitude that we have as we live for Jesus as well. We recognize that, again, we are not the boss of our own lives, that our lives are meant to be lived not for our glory, but for his glory. The glory of the one who not only made us and knows us, but died to save us. And so I wonder then, how, will, how do we go at living out what John says in verse 30 here? He must become greater, I must become less. Are you jealous of the place that Jesus has in your life? Do you still want to be number one? Or are you jealous for Jesus and giving him the glory in your life? And so here's a few helpful questions for us. Would we be willing to, to risk other people thinking less of us if it means that God is glorified in our lives? Would we be willing to give up that higher paying job for one that gives less, but also provides an opportunity to speak about Jesus more? Would we be willing to stick our hand up amongst the people we're, who we're among during the week, even if it had a high risk of them thinking less of us because we live for him? Well, I know that it can be easy to, to say that we stand with Jesus while we're surrounded with, with brothers and sisters at church or wherever we are. But I also know how hard it is to do in practice. How hard it is to do in a week where we feel like we're living among, among Babylon. But for John, the reason he can say and live out verse 30 is because that he knows the joy of hearing the bridegroom's voice. And it fills him with joy seeing other people go to be with Jesus, to know and trust him. And this is a joy that we can also know as well. It's a joy that finds its fulfillment when we hear those final words of Jesus on that last day. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's a joy for the future. But it's also a joy for the present, for now. Because even now, if you trust in Jesus, you are united to Christ as his bride. And we have all that we could ever need in him. Well, now as we, as we get to verse 30, this is where John, the author John that is, he jumps in with a bit of a reflective explanation at this point. And he does so because he wants to give us certainty that we can know the truth about God through Jesus. Why? Well, verse 31. Have a look. The one who comes from above, from heaven, is above all. He's saying, John the Baptist, like John the Baptist, we are people who find our origin on this earth. But Jesus is not like us in that way. Now, we can be regenerated to be born again, born from above, but Jesus is from above. Heaven is his home. He's the eternal son, the one without beginning, the one to whom all things belong. Now, not only though is he greater than us in origin, no, his words are greater than ours as well. Because his words, his words are God's words. So have a look at verse 32 on with me. He says, 
He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Now, there is a sense in which a person's words are an extension of themselves. And so, if you were to treat what your boss says, or what your husband says, or what your wife says, if you were to treat their words with contempt, you're actually treating them with contempt. If you were to to mistrust their words, you're mistrusting them. If you were to laugh at their words, you're laughing at them. If you were to ignore their words, you're ignoring them. And it's the same with God. His words, they're an extension of who he is, whether that be written down or verbally. And as we think about Jesus, the one who perfectly speaks the words of God, this means that the way you respond to, to Jesus has implications between you and God. To believe Jesus is to believe God. But the opposite is also true. To not believe Jesus, to not believe a single, a little point of what Jesus says, it's to call God a liar. Verse 34 and 5. The one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives his spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Now, ultimately, the reason why we can know the truth about the invisible God through Jesus is because he is God. I mean, we could go back to John chapter 1, verse 1, and see what the author lays out for us there. But we don't need to. We see the Trinity at work right here in these verses. We see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all mentioned here, working together as God reveals himself to us and opens the way to have eternal and everlasting life with him. And so this is why John the Baptist can say that he is not jealous when Jesus is glorified because he deserves all the glory anyway. He deserves all the glory from our lives just as he does from John's. Now you might remember our first week in John, I said that this gospel, this is, it's dense. It's like one of the richest chocolate cakes you could ever sink your teeth into. And I'm trying to walk a line. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, make you feel like you're drowning in just how how much rich theology is in here. And and I don't want you to say at the same time that this feels like it just belongs for the theologians. No. John gives us one more verse here. And he tells us in this verse, we need to listen to this because it has life and death implications. He wants you to know that there are only two ways to live. And so have a look with me at verse, uh, verse 36, the first line. He says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now this is talking about the greatest opportunity and the greatest possession of all. Eternal, everlasting life that is available to everyone. And it comes with with the greatest of simplicities as well. Do you see it there? Whoever believes in the Son. Now, belief in Jesus. It's not simply acknowledging that Jesus exists. No, John is talking about belief. He's talking about a true and genuine faith, a commitment. It's a recognition that Jesus is not only the maker and ruler of the world, but he's also our saviour. Belief in Jesus means, that, means acknowledging that his death was for my place, in my place. His death is for me, for my sin, for my rejection of God. And it's a commitment. Belief in Jesus is a commitment to then submitting to him as saviour and lord of my life. You know, I say that 
believing, by believing it's the greatest of simplicities. Because Jesus has paid it all. We don't need to rely on our works and our efforts. He's paid it all. When we stand with him, our debt before God is wiped out. And we have the promise of forgiveness, of everlasting life in his presence. The greatest treasure. But you might say it's hard or even impossible to understand why the good news of Jesus is so good. Unless you understand why the opposite is so awful. Have a look at the whole verse. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Now God is absolutely a God of love, right? No question. But while many people want to hold up the love of God as being almost his only attribute, as if he has no other way of relating to people, the reality is that while God is perfectly loving, He is also perfectly holy and perfectly just. And we all want God to be a God of justice, right? We we want evil to be dealt with. We don't want, it doesn't sit well with us that people will get away with the crimes they commit. We want God to show up one day and make things right. But the problem with that, for us, is that has big implications for our lives. The outlook isn't good. Because there's nothing more fundamentally evil than rejecting the maker and ruler of the world and believing that we know better. And whether we do that quite openly and obviously in a way that's that's big, like severely mistreating other people, or whether we do that in the quietness of our heart, believing that we know best, wanting to do things our way, not God's way, or whether we're simply apathetic towards him. No matter how we do it, We are all caught up in this rejection against God. And apart from Jesus, our rejection of the God of infinite dignity, it means that we stand as objects of his wrath. That's exactly what Paul then says in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. And we rightly deserve his judgment because of it. And so the question is then, as we read this, what happens to the wrath of God for the person who puts their faith in Jesus. Does it disappear? Does God just forget that he's all about justice? Is that what happens? No. No, you see, at the cross, when Jesus died, there we see the love of God and the justice of God come together. In love, God the Son, the man Jesus, he stepped in and took our place, getting what we deserve for our rebellion against God. And in that moment, he experiences the the full wrath of God, God's anger against sin that we should experience. He was crushed so that justice could be achieved for us. In other words, the debt has been paid. God's justice has been dealt with. And when we have our, our lives anchored in faith in Jesus... That means that we have attached ourselves to him. We've united ourselves to him. That means his death for sin becomes our death for sin. And it also means that his resurrection life then becomes our resurrection life. And that's why faith for the Christian, that's why faith in Jesus is a a perfect and effective means of salvation. Because when we put our faith in him, he has paid it all. Now, as I say that, I know not everyone watching will be there. There'll There'll be some of you watching who aren't ready or or not sure if you want to put your faith in Jesus. And if that's you, I want to say, 
Have a look again at verse 36. This is serious stuff. John says, there's no fence sitting when it comes to Jesus. There are only two ways to live. And the only opposite and alternative to believing in Jesus for salvation, it's not agnosticism. It's not indifference. If you are not believing in Jesus for salvation, then you are rejecting him for your eternal condemnation. Now, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. This is simply what John is laying down for us here. And so, if you aren't yet trusting Jesus, but you would like to, then you can simply pray to him now. You can say to Jesus, thank you that you made me, you know me, you love me. Lord, I am sorry that I've ignored you and gone my own way in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay my penalty for sin. Jesus, please come into my life and be Lord and Saviour. And if you prayed or will pray those words or or something like that, then you have the, the promise of John 3 here. You have the guarantee of eternal and everlasting life with God. And you have also the promise now of forgiveness and relationship today with God. And that's an amazing thing. Now, if you if you prayed those prayers or something like that, or if you do come to pray that over the next day or week or while, I want, to enc- I want to encourage you to get in touch with me because it's an amazing thing. And I want to help you to work out what it looks like then to live for Jesus, to live with him as Lord. But I want to finish now by speaking to those of you who have already trusted in Jesus. And I want to ask you, these, this last verse, 36, What does it mean for you and the people who are in your life? We are not the treasure. We are just jars of clay. But nevertheless, we do have treasure to share. And so I want to ask, what would it look like for you to be jealous for God's glory in your life right now? What would it look like going forward to love people with the love that God has shown us? Friends, let's be people to encourage one another, to let God's love be written large in glowing letters in our lives and be people who invite others to come from being objects of God's wrath to being objects of his mercy and grace that he's shown us in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that in this moment now that you would put this on our hearts, that you would help us to see that we need to be, we need to be living for your glory and not ours. And that as we think about all these things, these are things that have life and death implications for us and for our friends and neighbours. Father, put that on our hearts. Give us lives that are concerned about the lost and are concerned about your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we go now to a final time of praise.
Friends, I hope today you've been again reminded of God's love. And I hope that you've been challenged to think about what it looks like in your life to be jealous for Jesus and his glory. We'll see you next time.